Welcome to Pit Pass Moto, the show that keeps you up to speed on the latest in motorcycling and brings the biggest names in motorcycle racing right to you. I'm Dave Selecki, and this week we have our guest, Sierra Shaver. But first, a little bit of industry news. Out of Texas, Tucker Power Sports, big aftermarket company, they just named a new president, Mark McAllister, who came over from Harley-Davidson, gentleman who worked his way up through the company from supply chain and product design, now is president of Tucker Power Sports. Now, that was our good news. The bad news, due to the situation with the COVID-19, they uh, have furloughed 150 employees from the company. So, sign of the times, I guess. That's kind of where things are headed right now. Just got to kind of watch how things go. And we hope in a few months that uh, we come out of this and everybody's back to work again. So that's about all the real news that I have. Let's move on to our trivia question. This week's Pit Pass trivia question of the week is, name the female motocross legend that won five Loretta Lynn's national championships and nine professional championships in her career. Up next is our guest, Sierra Shaver, a racer out of Las Vegas, Nevada. All right, next on Pit Pass Moto is our guest, a racer out of Las Vegas, Nevada, Sierra Shaver. She's a uh, works racer, best in desert racer, and also an IG influencer in power sports. So she does project bikes and promotions for her many sponsors, and she also works in the industry. So did I hit all the all the subjects there, Sierra? Hi, yeah, you did. That's basically a summed up portion of everything. Uh, you know, racing and being in the industry from the start has really helped me uh, try to figure out the whole dirt bike thing and building race bikes and stuff like that. It's it's a lot of fun. Oh, that's awesome. Now you've been a racer since you've been little. How did you uh, How did you get started in racing and and just riding in general? So basically, ever since I was a little kid, my dad always would take us on camping trips out to the sand dunes. So I basically learned how to ride in the sand, which is kind of unheard of because sand is actually pretty difficult to learn in. But I grew up on quads. So once you got the whole technique down with the clutch and everything, then you can add the balance into it later with dirt bikes. So basically, was riding since I was little, little, my dad would, you know, tie tie straps to the handlebars to help us steer just so we wouldn't run into walls and stuff when we were like three years old. But <laughs> after, after about uh, learning, I would say when I was about 12 or 13 is when I got my first dirt bike. And when did you start racing after that? Was it something you did right away or did you did you move on later? I basically waited until I could drive myself just because I was the only time I was riding was when we would go on camping trips, just because my dad was more into the, you know, the recreational trips and stuff like that. I wasn't traveling around Vegas yet to hit all the riding spots. Once I got my driver's license at 16 is when I started racing because it gave me a little bit more leeway on places to go and events to attend. So once basically all my older cousins started racing and then I got to go watch them a few times and I saw there was a women's class and I was like, hey, I could do this. And that was really the only time I saw I could like gauge myself on how good I was or like coming into the motocross industry and like off-road racing. I was kind of a late starter on dirt bikes because some people race dirt bikes since they were like four years old. So I was like, man, I'm kind of behind the times. But once I started racing, I was like, wow, I'm not that bad. <laughs> well, I think you caught up to them for sure. I mean, that's uh, 
if you start out young, that's where you learn the fundamentals and it becomes kind of second nature, how to shift clutch and ride and go over obstacles. So I think you had the, the best kind of start was play riding in the desert with, with friends, really. That's like, that's a good way to get off the ground. It helped me too, because, you know, being on a quad is, it really helped me to understand like, you know, shifting and the clutch and how to maneuver things before adding balance to it. Cause I know, a lot of people that start out on dirt bikes, you know, they have the training wheels, depending on how young they are. And balancing could be difficult when you're that young, trying to figure it out on top of everything else. So I think it helped me really understand and like add on top of things once I learned like the basic skills. Yeah. And I, I think uh, that's how I started my own kids on on bikes we were with the uh, the mid-level training wheels on the side and until they kind of got their got their wings, so to speak, and kind of got used to it. And then you then you take those off and you set them free and as a dad, you kind of stand there and watch and hope that they don't run into a tree or flip over and hurt themselves. Yeah. <laughs> but if they do, as long as they get back up again and get back on the bike, that's the that's the important thing. Yeah, I learned that the most important part when teaching kids is a governor. You can turn it down a little bit. <laughs> <'cause>, <laughs> yep. and, you know, we have a, me and my boyfriend have a little two-year-old now. It's his daughter that we're trying to teach a little bit on quads and stuff. And the most important thing I saw too was to learn to teach them the brake before you teach them the throttle, because sometimes <laughs> good point. You teach them the throttle, and they're like, "Oh wait, where's the brake at?" And they yep. just take off. <laughs> so going back through that history um, with with your racing, do you remember your first race? How how you did? How did you uh, how did you finish out your first race? Yeah, it's actually a funny story. So my first ever actual race was at Sandy Valley. It was a local motocross track here in Las Vegas, about an hour away, and. You know, I drove out there and I had only ridden the track like twice and, you know, could barely make it over the jumps and was not really like, I wasn't really a track person. So I was just cruising along and a lot of the other girls at the track kind of welcomed me in and they were like, hey, you should come do the race this weekend. And I was like, oh, I don't think I'm quite ready for that. And they're like, well, you don't have to compete with everyone. Just ride your own ride and just kind of get a feel for how the racing is set up. So I was like, okay, I guess I'll do it. And man, I did not understand how to pace yourself because I just went all in for the first two laps and I thought my arms were going to fall off for the rest <laughs> of the race. Like, how do they race for so long? My arms are going to come off. But yeah, so that was my first like track race. But really my my favorite like first race that I did was my first works race. I lined up, it was all the women's BNC girls just because it's not a big enough class to separate the starting line. So I was like, okay, well, I'm lined up with some faster girls. I can kind of gauge myself and kind of see how I do with them and how they race and follow a few of them in their footsteps and see how they do. It was funny because I had, I think I had practiced the course only for like 10 minutes. So you don't really get a full feel for everything. And when the flag dropped, I actually got the whole shot. I was like, um, okay, now where do I go? <laughs> That's a scary feeling. We know. <laughs> I was like, man, I should have not got the whole shot on my first desert race. <laughs> but it was funny because, I mean, I was first off the line into the first few turns. But then, you know, the B girls all kind of got up to me and passed me pretty quick. And because they kind of knew what they were doing. And I just kind of followed with them. And that's kind of where I fell in love is just because I'm more of an endurance style racer. So the sprints on the track kind of didn't suit my thing because I just get tired so fast. I like the endurance stuff because after about an hour is when I really get comfortable. So that's sure, sure, you get settled in. Yeah, absolutely. Going back uh, 
through your through your bio and reading some things and knowing some things about you, we saw you on uh, the Supercross coverage when they did Make Up to Mud, which I thought was a great great story and a, and a great presentation. Now, what did that do for you and your career as far as racing and and just getting access to the industry and getting into it? Did that did that feature story on Fox really really help you? You know, that was such an amazing opportunity for me and a lot for the other girls as well. I really, really appreciate it. And it was it was really cool to get filmed because before that I had never been like recorded riding or even really interviewed. It's really funny because I was going to school for nursing and I was just about to go to nursing school when kind of all my riding stuff took off. So I put uh, nursing on the back burner for a few months and started focusing more on my riding and promotional stuff because Right before that got released, I started getting a lot of opportunities, like going to SEMA, building a bike for SEMA, which was is a huge expo here in Las Vegas. I'd gotten a few customers, or not a few customers, I'm sorry, a few sponsors before then, and kind of started doing a lot more promotional things. So once the Makeup to Mud aired, a lot of my sponsors that I already had really, really appreciated it and um, kind of wanted me to do more of like promotional stuff with them too, because I saw how I was able to interact with the camera and also, you know, just how I spoke within the whole thing. They're like, yeah, you know, you'd be a really great fit for our promotional side of things as well. And a lot of new companies too came to light and they're like, you know, that was really awesome. And we like your background because basically my makeup to mud showed how I started out a little mom and pop shop here in Vegas. And they kind of took me under their wings, taught me everything. And at 14 years old, I started out cleaning their bathrooms and worked my way up to running the shop. So I learned quite a bit while I was there and it really reflected in the video. And a lot of people, I would say a lot of people gained respect for me that way after they saw the video and after they, you know, learned a little bit more about me because when I was first working at the motorcycle shop, they're like, oh, this is just a ditzy blonde girl at the parts counter. You know, they would always go to someone even if they were just a guy instead of me. So I think I learned a lot of respect from it, from both people in the industry and also people that I interact with every day. And I've said for years, you know, and the one thing that brings a lot of credibility to a, a motorcycle shop or a dealership or even a distributor that you're working for is racers bring that credibility. You know, they've been in, they've been in the sport. They've been, you know, they can communicate and 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 uh, relate to the customers better than anybody because they technically really are the customer also. And I think you've done a good job of promoting. I think that's the first time I met you was at the uh, AIM Expo in Las Vegas, maybe three years ago when I was still with Weisco. And you were there doing a, a poster signing for Weisco and promoting our products at the time. And I thought you did a great job of relating to people, just drawing them in and having conversations. And those are the things that, you know, I think a sponsor really looks for from somebody when they're when they're trying to bring them on board. And I thought you brought a lot of a lot of credibility as a racer and you brought a lot of uh, interest to the products and were able to talk about them at, at a level with the customers. And I think that goes a long way. Yeah, I think I'm pretty well rounded in that sort, because when I was working at the shop, I would have to order all the parts for people, then put them in the inventory, then work with the customers every day. So it's funny to say I'm a really good conversationalist because I just talk a lot, but <laughs> I'm able to relate to all of them on different levels because if they're a racer, you know, I can talk to them about races or just, you know, a weekend warrior who likes to build bikes. You know, I'm a little bit of everything. And that's one thing, um, like when they would come into the shop, I would never, 
Or if I'm going into a new dealer as a rep now, I'm never in your face like, hey, I'm a racer. This is all the things I've done. You know, I've gone to SEMA. I never want to come off that way. But once I start having conversations with people and they bring up racing or they bring up bike builds, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is kind of what I've done and this and that. And they're like, oh, wow, you should have said that when you first walked in. Well, (laughs) I don't want to seem like that. You know, I don't want to just shove all my achievements in your face, you know. Well, and it, it comes out in the conversation and comes across. You definitely, like I say, brings that credibility. Now, I, I've got a really important question to ask you next. Um, I try to ask most racers this question because I always find it kind of the one, of, one of the more interesting things about racers are their numbers on their bikes are their identity. There's always a story behind it. So you got to tell me, where does 998 come from? What's the, what's the backstory on your riding number? So at first I was, before I actually started racing, I had a number plate on my bike, just, you know, to have a number, I kind of have an identity with it. Cause I got some graphics done. I just chose 98, which was the year I was born. I know I'm a baby, but <laughs> I chose 98 and I just kind of ran with it. And then once I actually started getting into racing more works, you pick a number that is a three digit number. And my birthday is July of 98. So they didn't have 798 available, but they had 998. So that's just what I chose my first year racing. I was like, you know, I can always change it later. And it's not a big deal. You know, I wasn't taking it too serious yet just because I was just starting out. But then that first year is when I won a championship for works. So I was like, okay, well, I can't change my number now because that's my good luck charm. If I go changing it, you know, my whole luck is going to change. And there's a lot of people who are differently like superstitious about, you know, changing your number if you've done good with a number that you've raced with. So I just stuck with 998. And, you know, now that I've raced with it for so many years, I hope it never changes. I've had really, really good luck. And I've just grown to like the number. It looks good on graphics and it flows with, you know, my jerseys and everything. The only thing that's difficult is when you race different series, they all have their own different number system. So like best in the desert, you know, you have letters in there or you can only choose two digits. So I try to keep around the same number, but that's kind of the whole backstory on 998. But now when you show up at the track and and other riders in your class see that number, they go, oh man, I was going to do good today. And Sierra showed up. So it, it broadcasts, you know, it broadcasts your presence. So they know who's coming. It's funny you say that too, because even when I just go to weekend trips, like at the dunes or at camping trips, people will recognize my number or they'll recognize my bike from like my Instagram and they'll come up to me like, you're Sierra, right? And me and all my gear, my hair's hit up in my helmet. I'm like, how did they know? I'm like, I don't even look like a girl when I'm all dressed up in my gear. So it's, it's funny because people will actually recognize you by your number or by your style of graphics and you know, they'll just, it opens up a whole new conversation because they just, they have confidence to come up to you. Or I've honestly done that to other people as well. I'll recognize their number and I'm like, hey, you know, it's kind of their own identity. It's, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it is. And it's, it, it's just interesting that a seemingly to, to outsiders to racing, it's kind of doesn't mean a lot, doesn't really register, but to racers themselves, that riding number means everything. It's it's their identity. And we've talked to other racers that say the same things. And they always have a backstory. It became this number because of this or this this thing in my life or it's an anniversary or, or whatever. Like you said, your birth year. And, you know, I tried to get the seven, but they gave me the nine and I was happy with that. And I really look, like how it looks on the bike. So it sounds <laughs> superficial on the surface, but it's really at its core. It's really a 
to a racer, it's one of those more important things. The other thing I wanted to ask you about, Sierra, is you're working in the industry now. You, know, you were working in the industry before. You're back in the industry and you're working for a company called Super ATV now. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. So basically, I started out, like I said, at a mom and pop shop called Sam Cycle Supply. Ever since I was 14, I worked for them for five years and did just little stuff. I got, you know, did parts counter there, did a little bit of service, learned a little bit of accounting and stuff like that. Since it was such a small shop, I got to do a little bit of everything. There wasn't just one role I learned. I got into, I wouldn't say the higher level of like the industry, but how I got into being a sales rep for the industry, like one of our reps came in who was selling for MTA and we got really close. He would sell us parts. We'd put them in our shop and, uh, you know, try to do good for him. We had multiple reps that would come in, but our rep Thomas was moving on to a different industry and he basically came up to me and goes, Hey, I'm going to recommend you for this job. I think you'd be a great fit. And he kind of briefly told me about being a sales rep. And I was like, okay, that sounds really cool. But I had no idea what I was getting into. It is a wonderful job because I'm basically a traveling sales rep. I started out with MTA for about a year. And now I'm, I got really fortunate to start working with Super ATV. So basically, we each get a region. I got all of Nevada, all of Utah, and I travel to all of the dealers in the area. So all the OEM dealers, all the service stores, basically a little bit of everything, whoever can carry our product or whoever sells to the off-road industry. And you try to sell them on your brands or your style of products. With Super ATV, we're a manufacturer. So it's cool because we make all of our own products instead of just distributing another brand. I get to walk in, tell the whole Super ATV story, and I really start clicking with people once they learn a little bit about me that I'm from the industry, I race, and we also have side-by-sides because Super ATV is an all-UTV market, all side-by-side stuff. So I really connect on many different levels with people, and they really take it nicely when I get to tell them about the technical side of our products because with Super ATV, it's more A-arms and suspension parts and tie rod ends and People are like, okay, and I get to educate a little bit about it. And people really, really take that nicely when I can walk them in the back and show them where it goes on the vehicle, or I can even talk to their customers about it. And it's actually just really cool getting to meet so many different dealers and how they operate. So there you go again, it's that credibility. It helps sell sell product because you know it well and you and you can you can explain it in a way that people understand. That's a that's a rare talent. And uh I think you're doing a great job out there. And I'm kind of curious now with this COVID-19 situation, what's uh, what's it like out there in the sales world? Are you traveling to dealerships now or are most of them kind of closed door? How's that working? Are you doing it remote? So right now, I've basically started doing it remotely just because, so I'm based out of Nevada and we were put on like a 30-day, not quarantine or lockdown, but they just suggested that all essential businesses stay open and everyone else close. Well, at first I was like, okay, well, all my dealerships are probably going to end up closing because, you know, they're not automotive and stuff like that. But it's really 50-50. Half of them have stayed open because they have that service shop, which I think allows them to stay open. But a lot of the dealerships and the sales side of things, they've all had to be temporarily laid off or they just shut their doors for the 30 days. It's really kind of sad, but it's really just, you know, to help help the spread to stop and, you know, just trying to 
go by the health guidelines and everything, but it has affected my traveling a little bit just because I don't, I'm not able to travel out of the state. And I go all the way up to Salt Lake City. I go to Havasu as well and all over Nevada. So I've just kind of toned down the traveling a little bit. I've been calling and emailing all my dealers instead of visiting them, which definitely affects the sales side of things. But then again, you know, it's part of my job that I'm able to do this from home as well. And I've really used this time to educate myself more of our products. So I just started with Super ATV a couple of months ago. And even starting with a new company, no matter where you are, there's a lot to learn. So I've used this time to go on our YouTube, educate myself about installing the products and also the benefits and putting together a plan of how I'm going to go into dealers and sell to them after this or focus on different products. So even though there's downtime and I'm not able to travel right now, I'm still able to stay in touch with my dealers and also think of better ways to sell to them. Like I've been watching some different videos and reading different books on sales techniques and just trying to be a better employee as well. So I'm helping out, you know, other people at Super ATV. They're helping me out and just using this time as wisely as I can. That's the best we can hope for in these tough times. I think uh, you got to make the best of it until it uh, till it ends, which we hope is soon. It's uh, it's not been easy. I think it's, you know, everywhere I talk to people in the country, they're all going through similar things. I'm kind of curious for you as a racer, what do you do to keep in shape? You know, in these situations, you can't go to the gym, right? So is this something where you can continue to work out, stay in shape, do a little practice riding by yourself? Is that still possible right now? Yeah. So basically what I've been doing is trying to eat as healthy as I can. Our gyms were open up until a couple of weeks ago. So we were going to the gym quite a bit just to try to stay in shape. I do really high cardio workouts and lift as well. So the equipment there is actually really helpful. But then once everything kind of shut down, you know, I just started doing, you know, runs or jogs or just cardio workouts at my house to try to stay in shape. And then I've also been riding quite a bit just because, you know, there a lot of other things are closed. So it's not leaving a ton of extracurricular stuff to do. So I just load up the bike late in the afternoons and in the evenings because it stays light so long here till like probably about 7 p.m. It's still bright outside. So I'll just run in after work, go do a few laps at the sand track or try to ride with some other people. Also, while practicing social distancing, don't worry. (laughs) (laughs) We go out to the sand tracks and try to practice just because it's raining quite a bit here. So the dirt's actually really nice. And just kind of doing free riding here and there. And of course, it does affect our racing because a few of my races have been canceled that we've been planning for. But, you know, with everything going on, I'm just trying the best I can to not get too far out of shape. Of course, the best workout is actually riding. So I try to do that more than anything. But with working and trying to stay on top of everything, I really only get to ride probably about once a week, which is actually still pretty good. Yeah, I think in these times that that's well for anybody, even in good times, that's that's a that's a good amount of riding when you can fit it in. And we're same situation here, but uh, I don't agree with you on the rain because it rains too much here. Therefore, it's <laughs> very muddy. So uh, we have kind of the opposite situation here. We wish it wouldn't rain, or we would be out on our motorcycles more. But uh, it is March in Ohio, so we kind of kind of expect that. Oh yeah, and you know, out here in the desert, it doesn't very rain. It doesn't rain very much, and. During the summer is when it's monsoon season, so it brings this whole different style of humidity that we're not used to, but whenever it rains, I'm like, all right, it's time to load up the bikes because the dirt's going to be great for about eight hours until the sun comes out. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Traction 
Traction galore. You got to get out there while you can. Exactly. And it dries up so quick here. So we just got to take advantage of it while we can and, you know, get out and ride a little bit so it's not so dusty. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, it sounds like you're making the best of it in a in a uh, strange situation for everybody. And that's all we can hope. And, uh, you know, we wish you the most luck. I think our time is coming to an end here, Sierra. So uh, we'd like to take the last few moments if you'd like to thank your sponsors or any sponsors that you have in your program. Okay, yeah, awesome. So there's been a lot of companies that have stood by my side from the beginning, even when I was just, you know, a women's sea racer. And I got, well, not just a women's sea racer, but when I was at the beginning of my like racing career, I got a championship like my first year. And that's really when I saw a bunch of people step up and help me because I was doing more promotional stuff at the time as well. So I would like to thank Wiseco and ProX. They're one of my main sponsors that helped me with all of my bike builds that I started doing, especially for SEMA, I got to build bikes for them and go to SEMA with them and sign posters. So that was an amazing experience. And also Maxima Race Oils. They came on board a couple of years ago and they also saw my potential in building bikes. So they really took a hashtag and it says support your local engine builder. And that just made me want to jump on their program right away. STI Tires, they stood by my side from the beginning as well in my dirt bike career. And Skosh Industries, they do a bunch of different phone mounts and a lot of different Bluetooth speakers that I've used when I'm working out, cleaning house, or in my rep vehicle. I actually have a few of their phone mounts just so I'm hands-free while I'm driving if I need to get on a call. There's a few more. Canna Hemp, they're a CBD company because I've had quite a few injuries. So I have like plates and screws in my knee and I've had a few ACL surgeries. So their pain creams and stuff help with that, especially after surgeries when, you know, doctors try to get you on like pain medication stuff just to try to get off of that because I don't really like taking any of that. And I just use their lotions instead. That really helps with pain management and stuff. And then also moto seat seat covers. They've stood by my side as well from the beginning. And, you know, I have a bunch of great sponsors who have helped me with different things. They've stood by my side to help watch me grow. And I really appreciate all the support even from companies that have just, you know, helped me here and there. There's a lot of great people in this industry and a lot of great products. And I just learn more every day about different ones. So I just want to say thank you to all them. And thank you to you guys for having me on your show. I know I met you at the AIM Expo. So it's it's been a great run. And you got to see me, you know, talk to a bunch of different people and sign posters. And you still wanted to give me the opportunity to come on your show. So I thank you for that as well. And I'm I'm glad I can make a good impact on this industry as well. Absolutely. And uh, we really appreciate you coming on the show today. And they call her the two-wheel gypsy. If you go to Instagram, that's a good place to find uh, Sierra. And you can check out what's what's going on in her uh, situation. And uh, thanks again for coming on the show. All right. Thank you, sir. All right, this week's Pit Pass Trivia Question of the Week was name the female motocross legend that won five Loretta Lynn's National Championships and nine professional championships in her career. And the answer is Mercedes Gonzalez. Now, of course, Dave's got a backstory. Mercedes, one of the fastest women ever to ride a motorcycle. I'll never forget, I uh, went to Loretta Lynn's. I qualified in 1990. I made it up through the qualification, got down to Tennessee and I remember practice day. I think it was the first or second day we were there, and they, they had listed out all the the practice sequence of events. And 
I was riding the open class, the 500cc class, uh, open B, and they had us teamed up with the with the women's class. And uh, I thought, okay, great, we're going to share the share the track and go out there and get some laps in and get used to the place and kind of get an understanding of the, the layout of the course. And I'll never forget, I went out there with the with the open class group, and then they let the ladies out behind us. And I thought I was going along pretty good, you know, going around the track. And this Kawasaki just about creamed me in a corner and took off passed me like I was standing still, I swear to God. Come to find out later, that was Mercedes Gonzalez. So she uh, she was just amazing. And she's a she's an amazing athlete. She um, got into training after motocross, did, uh, you know, basically trained other athletes in, in the sport. And then after that, got into uh, downhill mountain bike racing. So she's just a just an amazing person. I met her at Loretta Lynn's, talked to her for a little bit. and. Just really nice person, really fast racer though, just amazingly fast. And I really enjoyed uh, being on the track with her. It was really a great story for me to see somebody that's kind of a legend in the sport and share the racetrack with. I thought that was pretty cool. So coming up for this weekend, there really are no events to talk about. Most of the schedules for the year that, uh, that were published are now postponed or canceled. I know that the AMA has re-released the motocross season to start in June now rather than May, and that's still tentative. So they, they plan to start off in um, Florida and then finish up uh, 10 rounds in um, Indiana at the Ironman. But uh, kind of looks like that's still tentative depending on how the COVID-19 situation goes. So we'll kind of keep an eye on that. But the AMA also did announce that the Supercross schedule, they plan to finish rounds 11 through 17 later in the year, depending on Again, how they can schedule stadiums, get that all figured out, and then complete the series. So that really kind of leaves the 2021 season in, in hanging, really, because we really don't know how this is going to develop as the year goes on. So that's it for uh, upcoming events. Thank you again to our guests for being with us today, and thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app, where you'll get alerts when new episodes are uploaded. Of course, make sure you also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and pitpassmoto.com. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcasts. A special thank you to Tommy Boy Halverson, Ed Coolenkamp, Social media contributor Chris Bissop, our producer Leah Longbreak, and audio engineer Eric Coltbaum. I'm Dave Selecki, and we'll see you next week. Ready to up your game and learn more about the thrilling world of sports betting? Introducing Double Down with Breslow, the ultimate podcast about the business of sports gambling. Join me, James Breslow, and a long list of expert guests as we dive into the art and science of the sports betting industry. Evolving regulations, technology enhancements, and the meteoric rise in the number of players makes this sector the fastest growing and most intriguing in the world. Unlock the business secrets from many of the industry's most recognizable C-suite executives, including famous odds makers and influencers. Every episode of Double Down with Breslow is packed with insider tips, deeply skilled analysis, and in-depth discussions. Don't miss out on the ultimate resource for mastering the business of sports betting. Listen to Double Down with Breslow on the Evergreen Podcast Network or wherever you listen to podcasts. That's Double Down with Breslow, the business of sports betting podcast.